0: This little light of mine. Welcome to This Little Light of Mine, the podcast where we stand up for love and prioritize mental health, emotional health, and spiritual health in your life and in the lives of shine. all people. Here's your host, this James Powell. Hello and welcome to This Little Light of Mine. My name is James Powell and I'm so glad that you're able to join me for today's story episode entitled, Coming Out again. In today's episode, I walk you through some of the uncomfortable yet necessary events that followed my big decision to jump from Season 2, Episode 5. I'm putting my decision to attend an inpatient, trauma-informed rehab facility into action. It's time for me to get vulnerable, out myself in an entirely new way, and have conversations with my parents and with my employer to share that I need to take time away. heal but before we jump into today's episode i want to share some exciting news about this little light of mine over the summer my labor of love healing and recovery received two creative awards the first an ava digital award where this little light of mine was the 2021 platinum winner for audio and radio production for a podcast series focusing on lgbtq issues and religious trauma the second an Hermes Creative Award, where This Little Light of mine was also a 2021 Platinum winner, but this time for Electronic Media, for a podcast episode from Season 1, Episode 24, entitled Toxic Outing, that focused on LGBTQ2S Plus coming out stories and religious trauma. I want to thank everyone who supported, encouraged, and challenged me along this journey. Sharing my personal story of terror, trauma, and betrayal has created its own opportunities for growth, healing, and connection. It hasn't always been easy, but I'm extremely proud of what I've been able to create, and I'm looking forward to continuing to advocate and amplify marginalized voices for more personal growth in areas of 2s, LGBTQ+ inclusion, questioning and challenging systemic oppression and harm within the workplace, and within organized religion, mental health awareness, and spiritual growth and mindset shifts that help individuals thrive and bring more love into our world for all people. And with that, let's jump right in to today's story episode. I'm back from my trip to Peru, and it's time to put my big decision to jump into action I explored the options for my trauma therapist, weighed out all the pros and cons, worked with my family doctor to design a treatment plan, and I'm about to take a medical leave from work to attend an inpatient trauma-informed rehabilitation center in Philadelphia, followed by an outpatient addiction program at a local hospital here in Toronto. The big decisions have been made, and now it's time for me to move into action. There's a part of me that feels anxious about sharing my big decisions with others who need to know. But there's a new part of me, and I haven't felt this part in years. But this part of me feels like I'm on cloud nine. After years of stewing and internal debates, I've made the decision to put myself first. Me. Me before the expectations of others. Me before work. Me before keeping up appearances with my family. As I woke up on Canadian Thanksgiving weekend, I took time to capture these re-emerging thoughts and feelings in my journal. Here's what I wrote. Today, for the first time in ages, I woke up excited for the day. I'm looking forward to the challenging conversations that I need to have at work and with my parents, because it feels like I have a plan to move my life forward. This recovery work is what I need to do to heal myself remind myself of who I really am, reparent myself, and love myself so that I can help change the world for the better. And that starts with healing myself. It wasn't until I sat down to write this episode that I realized that I wrote those thoughts on World Mental Health Day in 2019. God is in our synchronicity. Moving into action, The two big next steps in front of me were sharing my plans with my parents and initiating my wellness leave, or what we called sick leave back in 2019, with work. I had never discussed the topics of drugs, alcohol, sex, or addiction with my parents. These were private, off-limit, gay-me topics that I consciously kept hidden from my parents. After being raised to believe that all gay people were deviants, who were going to live a life of deceit, addiction, and sickness, I never, ever wanted to give any ammunition to anyone that could possibly result in a Honey, we love you, but we told you this was going to be the result of your sinful lifestyle. Thinking forward to that conversation, I had no idea how any of us would handle it. And I couldn't imagine sitting in a crowded restaurant while I shared some of the most private details of my life. I decided that the safest space for this vulnerable conversation would be at my home. I invited my parents over to my place for dinner, and to prepare for the conversation, I sat down with a blank page in front of me and started to write out some talking points. My parents arrived the next day, I offered them drinks before dinner, and I sat down in a comfortable chair in my living room. I was nervous, but I knew that I needed to open up share my struggles, and ask my parents for their help. I took a deep breath and facing my parents, I started to read through my talking points. I need your help. I need your support. I'm done with running and hiding parts of myself. I'm safe and I'm healthy. I didn't want to freak them out with how serious this conversation was gonna be. I don't place any blame or animosity towards you. I'd also later learn that this statement wasn't exactly true. I was taught that I was unlovable, and that I was a sinner tossed aside because of who I am. I have so much shame because of who I have become, because it is exactly the projection that the Church makes of gay people that were lonely, desperate, sex-obsessed, addicted, and superficial. I was taught that being gay is only a sexual thing and that sex is dirty. I need to reparent myself, build up a healthy sexuality and self-image. To help me accomplish this, I am going to be attending an inpatient trauma-informed rehabilitation facility in Philadelphia. I stopped reading from my journal, looked up, and tensed my entire body for what was about to come. The nanoseconds of silence felt like years. It was time for me to stop talking and just wait for some sort of response. My parents looked at each other before they both looked back at me and told me how much they loved me. They continued by assuring me that none of what I had just shared changed that in any way my dad being my dad asked a few clarifying logistical questions so that he could better understand the situation i was in and how it might impact my job until my dad started asking questions i didn't realize that i had kept anything about my personal involvement with sex drugs alcohol or addiction out of my speaking points i guess there was still part of me that really didn't want to share what i considered deeply shameful with my parents I don't remember exactly how the rest of the conversation unfolded, but I do remember how seen, heard, and loved I felt after sharing with my parents. As we closed out our conversation, I went back to my speaking notes and I shared, This is why it is desperately important that all children feel loved and fully accepted from a young age. Children at 4, 5, 6, 7 are not capable of protecting themselves. And they need protection. The church needs to present options of different types of sexualities, and parents and families need to be taught how to raise these vulnerable children from a place of unconditional love and acceptance. As I finished reading my speaking points, I realized, for the first time in my life, I trusted my parents with the most vulnerable parts of me, and I was met with the simplest message We love you. How can we help? The next morning, I woke up elated, and I wrote the following in my journal. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It feels almost surreal to wake up without any secrets. Thank you for lovingly guiding our conversation last night. I could not have known that their response was going to be that open and that loving. I'm proud of my strength and courage for lovingly using my voice. Thank you for helping us all arrive at this place. With the first of my two big conversations taken care of, it was time for me to shift my focus towards work. In my mind, the work conversation was going to be far more complicated. Like many gay men, I was a workaholic who always took pride in my work ethic. Work was the main thing that defined and validated my existence. To me, Work was a type of badge or certificate that proved to everyone outside of me that I had value. For me taking time off from work took that value away and was a signal to the world that I was a fraud. In all the years leading up to this point I honestly thought that sick days and sick leaves or again as we call them now wellness leaves were simply for people who were physically sick or who couldn't handle doing their job and wanted an excuse for some time off to look for a new job. I can now see how I had a very toxic view of mental health in the workplace. I could also see how I had some very toxic views of leadership in the workplace and what I had to accept or live with while at work. What I would later discover is that much of the beliefs I held at this time in my life stemmed from my own internalized homophobia and toxic masculinity. From my perspective, it has been women who have been leading the conversation around mental health in the workplace. From my vantage point, more women are giving themselves permission to be vulnerable, set new boundaries, ask for what they need, and share what they're actually feeling. Men need to learn and grow from these women instead of suffering in silence on their own and playing into well-worn roles of the dominating, top-down, do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do leadership that runs rampant in many work environments. One of the biggest reasons that I didn't ask for the help that I needed is simply because of the stigma that I attached to depression and anxiety. Like many men, I simply didn't see or didn't want to acknowledge the many signs and symptoms that I needed help. And quite frankly, I didn't have the proper knowledge around men's mental health. One of the largest stumbling blocks for men in understanding their own challenges with mental health is that the symptoms of mental health issues can present differently for men than they do for women. For example, men who may be experiencing depression or anxiety may be more irritable or angry instead of being more withdrawn or sad. Many men, including myself, attempt to cover up and escape these feelings by doubling down on work or through other numbing activities like alcohol, sex, and drugs. We've all heard and normalized that old adage, work hard, play hard. But sometimes that old adage can actually be a flashing warning sign and a cry for help from men. As I thought about having this conversation with the leaders at my work, part of me shut down and couldn't do it. This part of me considered an elaborate plan of falling down a flight of stairs in the work parking lot so that I had some sort of demonstrable physical injury. In my mind, at that time, this part of me was convinced that it would be easier to talk about needing to take time off to deal with a physical injury than to ever, ever have a discussion with my employer about needing time away to take care of my mental health. We talk a big game when it comes to mental health in the workplace, but I'm not convinced that we're anywhere close on the day-to-day walk-the-talk or on much of the follow-through, especially for men. Thankfully, I didn't follow through on any of my fear-filled thoughts, and instead, I reached out to friends. I had a couple of friends in recovery who had already taken leaves from work themselves, and other friends who'd worked in human resources roles. Reaching out and asking for help from these humans helped to illuminate my path forward. As I spoke to these friends, the impending thoughts of doom started to lighten up a bit. I learned that when you go on a health leave from work, that you're not required to share anything directly with your employer. All communication is done with the insurance provider. Learning this new information started to alleviate some of the anxiety of having to have a deeply personal conversation with any superiors or HR team members that I didn't fully trust had my best interest at the top of their priority list. Instead of having to share any specifics with anyone at work, all that was required of me was to let my boss and team know that I required to take some time away from work so that I could take care of some deeply personal medical issues. Part of me was relieved that I didn't have to get into anything personal, But there was another part of me that was activated by not sharing the full details of what was going on. Being raised in the church, I was taught that it was my responsibility to justify, explain, and get approval from those in charge. It felt so strange for me not to get into any of the details, even though there was no part of me that wanted to disclose any of the deeply personal details to anyone at work. This small catch-22, or damned if I do, damned if I don't, was a tiny foreshadowing of the new type of uncomfortable growth that was waiting for me as I headed off to rehab. I'd also soon discover that much of the issues that I thought I was going into cure in a rehab setting were only the symptoms of a much deeper wound inside of me that was getting ready to make itself known. Wow, I have so many thoughts and feelings come up when I think back to that time and space in my life. I was on a constant pendulum, swinging back and forth between fear and relief. It's also interesting to look back and to remember how much I didn't know and didn't ask at that point in my life. I simply place my blind trust in doctors, therapists, work leaders, and a whole host of other types of quote, unquote, people in authority, because that's what I was raised to do. Even though I'd been in therapy for decades, I didn't have a single conversation around trauma, depression, anxiety, and I was terrified to ask or question my healthcare providers about their methods, any potential diagnosis, or to get some clarity on what the path forward might look like. Instead, I was an obedient boy, I showed up, sat down, and simply followed the prompt, what would you like to discuss today? But the problem with that prompt is that I didn't even know that I desperately needed to address symptoms of trauma, depression, and anxiety. One of the things I am thankful for at that time in my life is that I actually invested the time to find and visit a family doctor. Simply having a family doctor established a baseline for my health and allowed me to reach out at the time when I needed them the most. Millennial men are the most likely demographic to not have a primary care physician. Even in Canada, where healthcare is a universal right, 33% of 18 to 34 year old men do not have a primary care physician. Having a primary care physician needs to be a right and a priority for all humans, even the ones that identify as male. One of the other things that wasn't even on my radar at this point in my life was the topic of toxic masculinity. Back then, I simply accepted many of the unacceptable things that were going on all around me. I was taught to suck it up, push forward, work hard, play hard, and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Anybody else heard or used any of these catchy, yet potentially deadly phrases? The social stigma surrounding mental health disorders can become deeply ingrained for many who identify as male, which can lead to self-stigma and increased shame. Many men may not want to talk about difficult feelings because they may worry it might make them appear weak or unable to handle daily stressors or challenges. Many men feel or believe that their primary role in life is to be a provider for their family. Talking about mental health challenges may cause them to believe that they are putting that role in jeopardy or to compare their success or lack of quote unquote success to their peer group. Many men are also taught from a very young age not to cry or to express many of their emotions. This toxic teaching compels many men to feel shame when expressing emotion and may cause them to hide huge parts of who they are and what's going on in their life below the surface. Our widely dysfunctional definition of gender norms and specifically toxic masculinity may be why men are more likely to underreport symptoms of depression and why those who identify as male die by suicide at rates of three to four times more than those who identify as female. Coming up on Season 2, Episode 8, we're going to continue this conversation on mental health and delve deeper into the topic of suicide. I'm going to be joined with David Laskowski, who developed the HELP model that provides new tools and resources to professionals in Toronto's emergency medical services to help them intervene and help those who may be suicidal. With David's expertise, we can all get a little more comfortable talking about this uncomfortable topic. I wanna thank you for joining me here today. And before we go, I wanna remind you of how loved you are by God. You were designed as a perfectly unique expression of love. You were designed to be seen, to be heard, and to be known. You were designed to love, because you are love. Thanks for listening to This Little Light of Mine. To learn more about our guests today, and for links from our show, visit www.thislittlelightofmine.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, or feel that it could bring love and acceptance into someone else's life, please like, rate, review, and share so that we can build our community and bring more love into the world for all people. Now go and let your light shine bright because you are loved.